Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing? Am I on? Yeah, yeah, there we are. Hey, before I start today, uh, yesterday was Veterans Day, and I just want to take a moment and recognize our veterans. So if you're a veteran uh, of our armed services, would you please stand? Uh, everybody, and ha- hang on to your applause. I want them to stand first, okay? Everybody, um, and I know Ed's in the back. Anybody back there that... Uh, Okay, yeah, Greg. All right, hey, let's give it up for these folks. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. We are so blessed and thankful. And uh, so God bless uh, all you folks. Hey, um, for those who don't know me very well or don't know uh, much of my past, um, one one of the greatest experiences of my life happened between the years of 1982 and 1988 when I served as chaplain to the Redskins. And um, I know Dallas is America's team, I get that, but the Redskins are God's team. Did you hear that last part? The Redskins are God's team. I just want you to know, you know, Dallas people get all screwed up. They don't, they don't know when to clap. They don't know what's going on. They just, blah, 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 blah. I'm not listening to anything. I have a sinus infection. I can't hear you. Just talk on, you know. But um, I want to tell you about an experience I had, and, and it was a long one. Um, the, uh, my, my first uh, work began in 1982, uh, the end of the season, and, um, and it was really something that I didn't plan to do and uh, had no aspirations for. In fact, the idea of being the chaplain to the team was so far removed from anything I was thinking, and I could never imagine, you know, doing that. And... and um, but through a series of events, God led me uh, to connect uh, with some folks on the team, and uh, I began to, uh, to just help them. Uh, in, in, I'm not going to get into the reasons, just what, what they needed at that time, but um, the uh, guy who was serving as a chaplain had to leave. Uh, he had to move back to Alaska, where his home was, to take care of some family issues. And so my first chapel service was... Uh, the Super Bowl uh, in 1983, January of 1983, when uh, the Redskins played uh, the Raiders in Tampa and got soundly defeated. That was my first, uh, my first foray into ministry there. And um, it, actually the timing worked out really well because I had a chance from the end of the 82 season through uh, the early part of the 83 mini camp and 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 uh, all the summer camp work to get to build some relationships with guys on the team, uh, people that I just absolutely loved. I was there uh, the first year that Daryl Green was on the team, uh, Art Monk, Charles Mann. Uh, these were the guys that I got to spend time with, guys that would come to the Bible studies, Ken Coffey and Reggie Evans, and just amazing, amazing men. And um, uh, so I... Uh, I just, it was a good entry. It was a good, good way to start uh, because, frankly, that is a very intimidating role for somebody like me. I, I, I was a Redskin fan uh, my entire life. I, I knew of all the people that I was now going to serve and just admired them. Joe Theismann was quarterback at the time. John Riggins was 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 the running back, and he had the hogs, and I mean, I was in hog heaven. It was just, it was like, but these people are intimidating, 
And, and I was intimidated. I was, I was literally uh, afraid. And I remember I was sitting in the locker room one day, and it was um, uh, just before minicamp in May. And I was sitting beside of Charles Mann. Uh, we're sitting there in the locker room talking, and Ken Coffey's there. And Dave Butts walked into the locker room. Now, if you don't know who Dave Butts is, just go Google him. He it, it was just a massive, he's still, he's a massive man. He's, he's uh, six foot seven. At the time, he was over 300 pounds. His, his, he wore a, like a 12, size 12 or 13 shoe, but it was like 7E, like duck feet. And, and he was just, he was just massive, massive guy. And, and, um, I remember sitting there, and he walks by, and his locker was right beside of Charles Mann's, and he looked at me, and, and he goes, what the blankety-blank are you doing here? That was my first moment with Dave Butts. And I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the chaplain to the team. And I can't share with you what he said after that. It, was, it wasn't chaplain-y kind of stuff. And, and so that began my relationship with Dave Butts. Um, <clears throat> went through summer camp, and then preseason game started. I think it was like the second preseason game. And uh, usually we, we always flew on the same kind of planes to the games, but because it was preseason, they had to get a bigger plane. But it didn't matter because um, the, way, the way the seating was, the coaches all sat in first, play, or in first class, and I would get on with everybody else, and everybody just had to fill in the, the rest of the plane. So the very first preseason game uh, that we were was away game. I'm getting on the airplane, and I'm with I'm with my friends, the guys that I've built a relationship with. And I start walking back to the to the back of the plane, and in the third row behind first class, Dave Butts is sitting over by the window, and there are three seats in the row, and I'm going by, and he goes, "Hey, you." And I acted like I couldn't hear out of my right ear. I, I just kept walking. He said, hey, you. And then everybody stopped. And I turned around. He goes, you sit here. I'm, I'm not joking. This is, this is, this, I'm not making this up. It still brings trauma to my heart. And I sat down and all my friends started laughing because they knew something that I didn't know. Dave Butts was scared of airplanes. And so I didn't know. I sit down, and everybody goes by, and they all get the seats they want to sit in. And I start saying, talking to Dave. I said, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And he goes, hey, I don't want a relationship with you. I'm not joking. I could, I, I'm not making this. He goes, I don't want a relationship with you. He said, you're the chaplain, right? I said, yep. He goes, so if this thing goes down, I want you right here with me. And um, that's how it all started. Um, if you're a guest, if you're a first-time guest, oh, by the way, you know, it was so funny because, you know, preseason, you got all these people trying to make the team and there are like 40 people on the roster that aren't going to be there, right? So you got a lot of, lot of guys that are, are there. And, and sometimes I'd be late, you know, getting to the plane, and, and um, people would tell me that, you know, one of these rookies or one of the, one of the new guys trying to make the team would sit in that seat, and, and they got thrown out. I mean, he just, he like 
embarrassed. I'm like, and I walk on, and I would sit down, and I felt like a king. And it, but it only lasted for a short time, and then you know we're back to where we started. But um, I would like to say this: that if you're a first-time guest uh, here today, I am so glad you're here, and you are probably sitting in somebody else's seat. And I don't want you to feel bad about that. Um, there are a couple of things. Uh, first of all, the person who usually sits in that seat, they were late. And they're always late. And so don't worry about it. Sit in their seat. The other part of it is I'm doing this series called Disruption. And I want people to get disrupted. And you have helped me today. And, and so just know that you are loved. I'm happy you're sitting in somebody else's seat. And I don't know why. Why do we always sit in the same seats, right? I, I can't figure it out. It's something psychologically messed up about that. And, and we always go to the same seats, which really helps me because I've, I have a point to make in the message and I want you to hit you. I know where you sit. And so I can look there, but sometimes I see a first-time guest and I have to chill out. Um, anyway, I want to I disrupt people today and I wanted to start last week, and it's going to happen next week. By the way, next week, uh, Mark DeMoz, the guy who wrote the book Disruption, will be our guest. And um, it's going to be our birthday, but I invited Mark to come because um, he is one disruptive pastor. Uh, he's in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I'm, I'm telling you, I, I met him this past summer. Robert and I were in Indiana and had a chance to hear him speak, and then we met him, and I invited him to come for our birthday, and uh, I am so excited. He will set you on fire, and so um, I, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to, everybody, just let's pack this place out next week. It's going to be, uh, be amazing, but through the last year, I have realized that we, the church, we have a real problem, a big problem, and, and real quickly, I want to show you some things I showed everybody last week. I'm not going to take the time. I just want to give you a picture of what's going on. This is the population uh, chart for Loudoun County for the last 25 years. Uh, I started it in, in 1992 because that's when Pam and I moved here, and we were only here for a short few weeks, and uh, it was announced that Loudoun County, after 250 years of existence, finally hit 100,000 people. And obviously, if you've lived here, um, or if you've moved in here, you have experienced the repercussion of what has happened in, 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 and actually mostly in the last 10 to 15 years. We are now 385,000 people. Uh, we're headed to 400,000. Uh, USA Today said we're the fastest growing county in the nation for, I don't know, seven or eight years. The wealthiest county in the nation. Just, just a bunch of ridiculous stuff. Um, when we started the church in, uh, what was it, 18 years ago now, we received a demographic study that showed us how many Christ followers were in our county. And, and this was a, a work that was done, it, it was part of a doctoral thesis that we got our hands on, and, and um, then we have since validated it uh, through uh, today, really, in, in this year. Um, but let's go ahead and put that chart up, because I want you to see uh, how many believers, and, and these are Christ followers, these are people who say they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, they read their Bible and pray, they have quiet time, they believe in the sacraments, they, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God, He died for their sins. So it, it's really that group of people, and I don't know, I, I know that there's, a, there's plenty of variance, this could be off, but they used the same number, and they've tracked this all the way through to today. 
And the reality is that that red line indicates that 4% of our population in Loudoun County was in 1992, the 4% of the 100,000 people were Christ followers. If you follow it all the way out, the number is still 4%. But the real challenge is there's so many more people. In other words, in reality, we have been totally ineffective as the body of Christ in our county. We have not moved the needle. What this, I know there are bigger churches. I know there are more churches. What we've done is traded Christians back and forth. People go to church depending on what they like, you know, how the music is, how the youth ministry is, all the, you know, how the building is, whatever it is. But we are, we are not changing our county. We're not changing our world. That grips me. That saddens me. All we're doing is trading believers. And, and I know it's not, you know, it, it's not a hard cast because we have people that get saved. I think we had between, what was it, like 60 or 70 people so far in the last 12 months of either first time commitment to Christ or they've recommitted their life to Christ. And so, but the number is still 4%. So we, let's look at the 96% that's left. Give me the next graph, folks. This is the number of people in our county who may consider attending somebody's church sometime out of the lost people. This, this is the percentage. That's, it's 40%. Of our population say, hey, I might go if I'm invited to a Christmas service or an Easter service. Might being the key word. Maybe they will. It's still a vast deal. And, and so we have, Destiny Church, we have really paid attention to this group. We have worked to create a church that we can connect with the 40% of people who say, I don't really understand church, I don't really get it, but I would consider going. And we try to, to meet, meet them on, an, on a level playing field where we can reach them. Let's take a look at the next group. 60% of the population in our county, and this is true all across our country. This is coming from, from John Maxwell's organization, from Exponential, from Leadership Network. They're all saying the same thing. 60% of the people in our communities will never attend our church or anybody's church, ever, ever. So who has God called us to? All of them, all of them. And we have a problem. Now, God has a fix for the problem. He's always had a fix for the problem. His, and this is something I, I really want you to grasp. I want you to understand this because you've heard so many different things about this. And I want you to understand this. God's heart from the very beginning of time was to save the entire world. Everyone. I know we've heard about the, the Jewish people and the Israelites and God's chosen people. And they are chosen people. But they were not chosen to be saved. They were not chosen to, to, to get into God's grace. They were chosen for one purpose. To be the priest to the rest of the world. It says in Genesis 12, verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. And it says all, think about that, all the families on earth 
will be blessed through you. Somehow, we got this idea that the Israelites were, were the chosen people of God. They're the ones that are going to get in. And then in the New Testament, we get grafted in and we're all the lucky ones. That is not what God intended. He intended for the people of Israel to be the priests to all the nations. God didn't have a group of people that He thought were better than another group of people. But He had a group of priests. And the problem with Israel was this. Two problems. One, one they, they, um, they didn't want to be priests. They wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to... You remember, they, they wanted a king. They didn't want a theocracy. They wanted a democracy. Or, or, or a, a king leading them. They, that's what they wanted because that's what all the other nations had. So they neutralized themselves first because they wanted to be like everybody else. Second... They developed an air of superiority. We're better than them because we're God's chosen people. And for those two reasons, it was all failure. Total failure. And so, you see the reconstruction in the New Testament when Jesus says, okay, here's how it's supposed to be. And God says, I've got a different plan now. Same plan, just different group of people. We read in 1 Peter verse two, chapter 2, verse 9, for you, it's all of us now, the church, you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. That's us. A holy nation. God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. See the plan? See how it's, all, it's the same? Same exact plan. But we have two problems. Same two problems. We want to be like everybody else. We want to act like everybody else. We want to live like everybody else. And then, we start thinking we're better than others. we got the answers. We've got the, we've got the juice, the stuff. And we're better. Same exact situation. And so, my desire is to help you understand that we do not exist for ourselves. That we've got a purpose to be here. And we exist for this world. We exist for the people. We exist for the 100% of the 96%. That's who we exist for. I want to read this passage that Paul... It's just an amazing passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 9. And Paul's talking about his heart as it relates to the church and who we're supposed to be. And he says this, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralist, loose living immoralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all of this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. So folks, here's what we're supposed to be. 
as Christ followers, we're supposed to be priests. We're supposed to win the world for Jesus. So I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about what that looks like. And, and for those of you who have this fear of witnessing to other people, you're going to love today. Because I do think that we've had this really weird thought about witnessing and what it means and, and, and cold calling on people. And like, there, out of this whole crowd, there might be three or four of you who are actually willing to do that. And, and, and you're just, you're, you're made out of different stuff than the rest of us. I am not one of them. And I can tell you that that is not God's plan. And I'll show it to you today. But it does require that we live intentionally. And that's what the message title is today. It's about intentional living. And I want you to get your notes out. And I want you to write some stuff down here. Because I think I can help you. And by the way, uh, a couple times today, I promise you, I may sound a little angry. And I just want to tell you, part of it is I'm taking steroids for an illness. Okay? So, but... But don't let that stop you from feeling convicted. All right? Because God can use steroids, and He's going to, I think. Number one, we must be intentional in adding value to lost people. In other words, just take the agenda out of this. We need to add value to lost people. Let me tell you something about people who are lost. First of all, they, they know they're lost and in many cases, if not most, they never feel capable of acceptance from God. They, they, they don't get it. They don't understand how God that they've heard about could accept them the way that they live and who they are. And I, I, I would say, yeah, I, I, I could see that. So, somebody's got to accept them. It is up to Christians, up, up to Christ followers, up to the church to demonstrate God's unconditional, unconditional love and unconditional acceptance. Here's what I've experienced in my lifetime involved with the church. Church people, many times, don't like people outside of the church. Greg, do you know what they do? Do you know what they say? Do you know what they believe? Do you know how they vote? Do you know, you know, hey, Dogs bark, cats meow, sinners sin. Right? What do you expect? What do, we, what do we expect? Sinners sin. And God loves them. And we judge them. And we block ourselves from them. And then we try to throw a witness in now and then and zing them. And think how that must feel. We need to begin to value people. This idea of exclusion, the priests are good, we're better. That is so far from anything that Jesus shows us. Anything in His mission. And, and, and because we do that, the church has these real high expectations, right? We're going to change the world. We're, hey, 4%, we're having low realization. It's not working. Our approach is not working. I want to challenge you, don't Share your faith with anyone until you've added value to that person's life. Because they aren't going to get it. I know if you have one shot on an airplane with somebody, take it, okay? It could be a God thing, but typically, it's not going to work. You have to earn the right to influence them. 
I sat beside of Dave Butts for five long years. Not allowed to talk. Couldn't say a word. We didn't need a relationship. But year after year, I'd get on the airplane and nobody would sit in my seat. Because it was my seat. And that's where God wanted me. And I would sit there. And I would do nothing. Just try to get him from one place to the next. Five years. We need to be intentional, number two, to include everyone. Paul said, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. In Genesis 12, God says, all the families on earth, all, will be blessed by you. I want to just share this. This is for our church alone right now. And not the body of Christ in, in particular, but because I believe that God has a plan for us. He has something that we need to understand. And it's this, until we can fully embrace diversity as a church, we will fall short of God's purpose in our church. When it says all families, it means all families. Listen, in everything we do in our life around here, diversity is all around us. Whether it's work or school or shopping or restaurants, everywhere but church. And it's not happening. When we embrace diversity, we reach more people. We, you know, think about this. When we all come to church together, we, we, we worship together, God speaks to us together, we grow together, but then we go home, and when we go home, we go to, go to the people who are like us, right? That's how we were born, that's how we live, that's, that's, that's who our relationships are. Well, if we can become a representative of our community, our, our demographics of our community, just think about how many more people get to go home and tell more people about Jesus Christ. And now I'm going to get really personal. I, I'm, this, this does upset me. I am so sick of politics in the church. And folks, we, no matter whether you're on the right or the left, whatever it is you pick, if you bring it to the body of Christ, you block yourself off from reaching people for Christ that Jesus absolutely loves. Instead of looking to the right or looking to the left, we need to look up and we need to look around. This kingdom, when, when Jesus established His kingdom, He did it in the midst of the most demonic government structure ever. And He turned the world upside down. We don't depend on who's in office to get things done. It's not a, it, it doesn't matter. Because whatever happens, the church has the answer. Not the government. Not the political parties. You can sign anything into law you want to. It isn't going to change one thing in our culture because we don't have a political problem. We have a cross problem. A spiritual problem. I'm just saying. Okay. I don't know who's clapping right now. And some of you are mad. But it, and it wasn't even in my notes. Number three, we need to be intentional about our identity. <laughs> 
I love this. Paul said, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. He's saying, I want to reach them, but I don't have to become like them. In fact, that's where the light shines. They like me because I value them, but they don't know what to do with me. People, we, we, we need to change. We get this messed up. We think we can you know, pass a few laws and feel more comfortable with where, where we are. But I, I think we don't sometimes have a hardened sinner problem. We have a hardened Christian problem. And I'm going to ask you, I, I'll tell you what, I love you guys. I'm not mad at you. Please don't get this wrong today. I, if, if anybody can grasp this, I believe it's you, and I'll tell you why. Because many of you, if not most of you, have become Christ followers in this church. And, and you know where you came from. You know where your life has been. And you know where life has come from. And you can make this move. You can make this turn. There are some places, some churches, you could never. I mean, people would probably be leaving right now. But we can do this. We can, we can make this good. We can do something besides the 4%. We, we, we can do this. John Maxwell, I just heard him say this. He says, you don't have to be like non-Christians to reach them, but you do have to like them. Let me say that again. That's worth writing down. I, I should have put that in your notes. You don't have to be like non-Christians to reach them, but you do have to like them. Number four, we need to be intentional to enter their world. Paul said, I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world. We keep trying to get people to enter our world. We're not going to be effective. I mean, we got the 40% and some of those are going to come, but we have to go to them. Jesus, uh, in Matthew 9, it says, He made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, reported kingdom news, and healed their dis- diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. I love that song we sang. That last song we sang is amazing. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were like sheep without a shepherd. What a huge harvest, he says to believers. He says to his disciples, how few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. This is Jesus saying, look, we're we're letting the world go to hell. And we're trying to Never mind. How do, we, how do we lose our passion for lost people? I think the answer is this. We, we leave their world. I want to show you a video. Just one of our life groups and what they've done to enter somebody else's world. Let's take a look at this. Saturday serves started, I guess, the journey started back in college for me. When I was a freshman at Liberty, a friend invited me to a campus ministry called Saturday, or not Saturday, Campus Serve. Um, And it was really awesome because I was new to the area. I'm from Wisconsin. I didn't know anybody in Virginia. And so I decided, you know what, I'll go. So I started going to Campus Serve as a college freshman. And the first thing I noticed about it was just the amazing community that Campus Serve provided for new students at Liberty. 
They had about 11 campuses at the time that I was there and they went all throughout Lynchburg. And they didn't just go to places that were low income for kids, they went to any place that needed a community feel. And so they actually went to nursing homes, to retirement centers, um, to places that weren't low income but just didn't have very much of a community feel. And they just brought college students in with a snack and a Bible story and they hung out with people. And that really spoke to me because I came from a church that didn't have that strong community tie to their local community. We just had a church feel. And um, I realized after going for a few years, like, man, this is what the church is missing. So flash forward to now, um, Josiah and I got married when I was a junior in college and then we immediately started coming to Destiny. Two years after that, we moved here. I had our first uh, firstborn, our son. And you know, with him being a pastor, we just kind of dove into ministry life and we were really busy. We were busy with ministry life, which we loved. We loved Destiny. We wouldn't want to be anywhere else. But over the past couple of years, I started to realize, looking back at those few years in college where we went out and went into the community, I really missed that. So this past summer, uh, Josiah and I went ahead and we launched our first Saturday Serve. And it was totally born out of a need to know our community. And I realized looking around, like I knew our church, but I didn't know the people that surrounded our church. I didn't know anyone other than the people that came on Sundays and that bothered me. I wanted to know who I was living alongside of in Leesburg. And so being able to come here on a Saturday and meet new kids and meet new families and just being able to hang out, there's no agenda. We just show up, we do games, we do crafts, and we just get to know one another. And that has changed, that has absolutely changed our life being able to do that. And being able to do it alongside our kids has been amazing. I wouldn't change anything about that. The point of Saturday Serve is to take the church out of ministry in the sense that we just want to show up and we just want to like spread some love and be kind and just meet new people. So that's the point of Saturday Serve and we're really, really excited to see where else this is gonna go. The biggest thing about Saturday Serve, which I kind of talked about already, is that there's no agenda. And so what happens is we all show up um, at church on, at 10 a.m. We meet in the parking lot. We go over what our day is gonna look like. I usually like hand out maybe a Bible verse and some discussion questions and then we pray. And then we load up the car and we show up here at site at about 10.30 and the kids start showing up. Sometimes they're waiting for us, which is amazing. And really, that's it. We just hang out with the kids. We do dodgeball, the boys do soccer. Um, we spread out some crafts. We put blankets on the ground. We all just kind of chat. Kids just come and go from one activity to another. Um, there's, there's really, like I said, there's, there's no agenda in the type of what we're trying to do. We just want to be here. And so Saturday Serve, you don't have to have like a ministry background or you don't have to love kids or uh, you don't have to be outgoing. The point of this is for us to just be in our community, just be. And I'm really excited because I would love to see more and more campuses opened around Leesburg so Destiny can start to get to know the community that we live in. So at the end of us playing and doing crafts, we all sit down and circle up in groups and I hand out these little tiny pieces of paper that say group leader name, name of those in groups, and then prayer requests, that's it. And so our group leaders sit down and sometimes share a Bible verse, but the biggest thing is that they sit down and ask the kids, hey, how's your life going? What's going on at home? Are you happy? Are you being bullied at school? Do you have any prayer requests? And when we first started, um, the kids had no idea what prayer was. <laughs> In fact, 
I have a funny story. There was one young kid. I asked him if he knew about Jesus and knew who Jesus was. Um, and he speaks Spanish. And so I said, Jesus. And he asked me if I knew his uncle because his uncle's name is Jesus. So he had no idea who Jesus was um, other than the term of his uncle. Um, and so what's been really neat is us being able to see the kids growing in their knowledge of who God is and that God loves them unconditionally. And our biggest thing that we talk about is God's love for them and us being kind to one another. If there were two things that I want these kids to walk away from knowing, it's that they are loved and they are valued and that it is important for us to go back out into the community and to value and be kind to others. And so our small groups consist of us just sitting around, talking about how they're doing, how can we pray for you, what can we do for you, and then we have a snack and then we pray together. And that's it. And it's been awesome to see the leaders grow through this experience because I had so many show up and they were like, we don't want to lead a group. That's scary. And, you know, the biggest thing is that we're all about being organic here. So by the second or third time that they showed up, what do you know? They were sitting down and they were leading a group. And it's because there's no pressure. We don't ask you to, like, know your Bible and know your theology. We just want you to come and hang out and have fun. And if you do that enough times, eventually you'll get into the position where you realize that you're leading these kids and that they're important and that you're excited to show up every Saturday so that you can hang out with them. Thank you. I, I, love, I love the picture of the kids there praying, everybody but Gabe, and he was cutting the grass. Uh, <laughs> But he's there. Man, those kids wouldn't miss Saturday, sir, for anything. And uh, thank you, Carly and Josiah and all the guys and ladies who are putting this together. We need to be intentional, number five, to experience things from their point of view. The, the lost people, their point of view. Paul says, I enter their world and I try to experience things from their point of view. What do they feel? What are they going through? Everybody has a point of view. Of, of, a, a way of looking at life. It's what shapes and drives us. And, and, and Jesus, not, not Jesus, but, but Jesus was a master at getting to the heart of the person. He understood where they were. And Jesus could fix them. He was able to fix them. Now, we can't fix people. And our plan is not to go fix people. What we need to do is just to love them. Because we're not Jesus. That's His job, to fix them. But you do need to respect them, and you do need to try to look at life through their point of view. Why do they feel the way they feel? Why do they say the things they say? Why do they express a lifestyle that may be totally opposite of yours? What is it that brings all that about? Don't try to fix them. You love them. You care for them. Five years riding on an airplane with Dave Butts. In that fifth year, and... And it was just in God's timing because that was my last year with the Redskins and it was Dave's last year in the NFL. Two things happened, two moments in time. And I think it was five years in the making. One is, his oldest son, David, just a young guy, and um, he was cutting the grass. And you may remember, David, if you're an old Redskin fan, after every game, David was a guy carrying Dave Butt's helmet across the field. And, um, but he was cutting the grass, and he got his foot caught in the lawnmower. And it really, it really messed him up. And um, I heard what happened, and, and I, 
I rushed to the hospital just, just to be there. And, and obviously, you know, it was a horrendous time for, for them. And, and Dave was, was a basket case. And, and so I had a moment just to pray, to pray for little David and to pray for the family. And, and, but Dave was just so choked up, he couldn't even talk. And, but they got through the, that event and then we were right in the middle of football season, uh, probably four or five games into the season. And for whatever reason, Dave got really sick. And it took them probably two weeks to figure out what was wrong. And, and somehow he had picked up some parasite of some kind, and it was decimating his body. And I went to Sibley Hospital. I tried to be the first one there, but his agent beat me to it. I mean, the uh, agent's like, okay, where's the money here? You know, how are we going to get through this? And but, but I went to see, see David, and it was during season, so nobody was coming to see him. And he goes, man, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I, I just heard you're really sick, and so I, I just wanted to come, and I, 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 can I pray for you? And he goes, yeah. And, and so I prayed for him. And then I, I got ready to leave, and he said, he said Greg, I, I don't know what to say. I can't believe you're here. Uh, I just thank you. Thank you. And I felt like five years of, of hard labor had just come to fruition. You know, I would like to say that David gave his life to Jesus and, you know, it changed his whole life. And, and, but I can't. I, I didn't have that, um, I didn't see that really unveil in front of me. But I will tell you that for the rest of that season, when he, he got better and he was back in the game again, he always came to our chapels then with his family. In fact, I had a, a special Bible study that we did on Wednesday nights and, and uh, he brought his wife and came to those as well and never missed. And it was then that he started having his son carry his helmet across the field. And if you would ask him today, in fact, you could Google his, all his stories online. The reason that he gave for having his son carry the helmet was just this. He said, well, I want him to carry my helmet because he has to carry it in the locker room. And the first thing that happens when we go in the locker room is we pray. And he goes, I wanted David to see people praying. So God did something. God changed something. Because that was not Dave Butts that I met five years earlier. And the only thing I could do was to love him and try to think of life through his eyes and where he came from because he wasn't going to anybody's church. I, I have no idea today, you know, I've lost touch with David. I probably should change that, but um, I know he's gone through some difficult times in the last years of his life, but I have a feeling that he has a foundation that he would have never had if I'd have just done what I'd always seen done my whole life. Number six, we have to be intentional to creatively move people toward God. In other words, we have to think outside of the box. Paul says, I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. Now in your notes, I've got something written in there called Four Pictures of God and something John Maxwell did. I'm not going to talk about it today. You're for those of you that really have to have all the blanks filled in, I'm so sorry. Um, I can meet you out there. I can give them to you if you have to have them. But 
Google this. It's an amazing creative way to understand how to connect with lost people. But I want to give you one picture of something we're doing as a church that you guys have participated in, whether you knew it or not. We have a school we call Destiny School of the Arts. And it, uh, we have kids in there from ages 2 to now second grade. We're going to add a grade every year to finish up to the fifth grade. And um, just so you know, this is not a Christian school. We do not advertise it as a Christian school. Because if we did that, it would be filled with Christians. And so it's a school of the arts. Dance and music and art and language arts. And, and we're trying to get it better and better. But it is led by believers. It's led by Christ's followers. And all we're trying to do is reach people with the message of Christ through loving them and, and reaching them for the Lord. And we have no agenda outside of that. That is why that school exists. And I want to say this, that in, in, in three or four weeks from now, it's the second Sunday in December, they're going to be here. They, we do this every Christmas. Uh, they come and they stand up here and they sing their songs and have their bell choir and do a little deal for us. And you know who's here? Their parents. And you know what? They take your seats. They sit all in the front because they've got to get a picture of Susie up here. And they can't do that in the back. And they take your parking places. And you have to park across the street. And I know some of you have gotten irritated. And some of you have left. And some of you just pout. Get over it. This is an opportunity for us to share love. You should be the first ones here not taking their seats, but serving and giving and loving and welcoming. This is the one time a year that we have these people who will come here and all they want is to see Susie, and all they should get is love, love, love. You with me? Thank you. Yeah. Let's do it. Number seven, we need to be intentional about being a kingdom player. Paul says, I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. That's, that's what we do. And then we, we talk about it. We're going to reach the world with Jesus. No, we're not. Let's not just talk about it. He goes, I wanted to be in on it. You have to get in the game. I watched what happened in Dave's life. I've watched what happened in his family's life. His wife did become a believer. And um, and there's just so many people that just need to be loved. I, I had no idea that the song that these guys were going to sing today, that last song, that it was like my whole sermon. I could have probably saved a lot of time here. but um, And then I had no idea that Brody was going to quote Psalm 142. No idea. We should never talk about what we're doing here. God does a whole much better job of it. Um, but there's, there's one little line in that psalm, and he read it. And it was a psalmist crying out, David's crying out. And he says this one sentence. He goes, No one cared for my soul. And, and as Brody was sharing that he was talking, do you ever feel like that? And I would guess everybody in the room probably said, yeah, at some point or another, I've felt that way. I want to tell you there's a whole world outside that feels that way. Nobody cares for my soul. Notice he didn't say spirit. We need to understand what David was saying. 
David knew about God. David, you know, he knew how to answer his own problems when it came to spirit. He knew that God cared about his spirit. He was talking about his soul, his feelings, his heart, the, the pain, life. And he goes, no, nobody cares. And that's our job. That's our job. That Jesus is not the answer to David's soul. You are. I am. He gave us the ability to do that. He gave us the, the ability to care for people's souls. And I just don't want us... I've I got to end with this. I, I love you guys so much. I just don't want us to be sitting around doing church when people are in such desperate need. I want us to be the church. I want us to disrupt our lives so we can disrupt the lives of those who are thinking that nobody cares for their souls. Pray with me. Father, I don't even know what to do with this today other than give it to You. I ask that You change me. I ask that You change us. I ask that You disrupt us so much with Your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, for every thought that we have had today would be turned to becoming the church that You've called us to be. Becoming the people that You've called us to be. I pray that there'd be nobody around us who would ever feel like we don't care for their soul, their heart, their feelings. Lord, I pray that the greatest witness that we will give to You is our love to them. I love the words of that song that we sang that we will love You and You will cause us to bless others. To love others. Would You change us, please? Lord, I pray today for the person who has walked in here today who doesn't know who You are, who has no relationship with You, and You brought them here and they had no idea what to expect. I pray that You are disrupting their life right now. I pray that they would know that they are loved. They are loved by You. They are loved by us. Oh God, please. Please. Let them experience Your love today through us.